We meet again. Here we are. Um, this is a good one, guys. And I'm not saying that because I wrote it. I'm saying it because I've already gotten hammered with it really good for a few weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about fear of failure today. And I think that uh, God knows what he's doing. And basically, all the ladies are really missing out today. So it's kind of like God's telling you a secret in a way today, I think. But um, have, have any of you guys ever heard of a guy named Michael Jordan? Not Michael B. Jordan, the actor, but Michael Jordan, the athlete. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah. So most people would think, you know, that guy's pretty successful. I mean, his silhouettes on shoes that cost hundreds of dollars. So that's, you know, if, if there's a measure of success, that's a pretty good one. Uh, he's arguably, and I throw that in there for whoever wants to, you know, say, no, Wilt Chamberlain was much better. He's arguably the best basketball player ever. <laughs> that's one way to get Jeremy amening in a service, start talking about Michael Jordan. Uh, but here's the thing. Did you know that he was cut from his high school basketball team? Yeah, he was cut from his high school basketball team. So let's just stop and think about that for a second because that should give all of us just a little bit of hope, shouldn't it? That uh, possibly the greatest basketball player of all time was cut from his high school basketball team. When he started, he wasn't very good, actually. And for most people, that's where the story would have ended, right? You know, you get cut from your high school basketball team and you think, okay, well, maybe basketball's not for me. And then you'd be done and you go... Uh, act or something. I don't know. Right. But, um, we would concede, yeah, this isn't my gig. I'm going to go try something else. But Michael Jordan did not believe that about himself. He chose not to believe that. And so what he did is he continued to work on his game. He kept trying and he kept failing. And even though he even, he eventually of course achieved his goal of making it to the uh, NBA, right? He didn't stop failing. And so this is a quote from Michael Jordan. I think this is really good for us to remember today. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And then you have a picture, and what you can't see in that picture is he's wearing six rings. Only guys like that wear six rings around, right? Anyway, one of the biggest fears I, I believe that we all face, in fact, it's in kind of like the top five if we're talking about ranking them, is fear of failure. So what do we mean by fear of failure? Let's talk about that for just a second. Fear of failure is being afraid that you won't accomplish a desired goal. And the fear itself becomes debilitating. It stops you in your tracks. And so as we talk about fear of failure, it can cause people to do things like sabotage themselves. They're so worried about the possibility of maybe a bigger failure that uh, they will sabotage the situation that they're in. This happens a lot of times in relationships. Maybe uh, a person's had like pain in their past or they've been hurt by someone in their past. And so in their mind, it's hard for them to trust another person. Oh, this is only going to happen again. And so they will actually sabotage themselves within that relationship uh, rather than having the hope that it could work out for the best. 
Or a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just avoid situations altogether for, because of fear of failure. So someone will ask you to do something, you're worried about failing at it, and so you just say, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to try. Fear of failure can stop us in our tracks, and it can render us immobile. The other thing we need to know, though, is that fear is a weapon of our enemy. Fear is his primary weapon. He knows that when fear immobilizes us, that we are ineffective for God's kingdom. And this is true. So if fear stops you from stepping out, if fear stops you from saying yes to something that God wants you to do, in effect, you've been immobilized uh, by the enemy. That's what's happened. And so Jesus actually tells a really good story, this parable, it's in Matthew 25, and it's all about the fear of failure. And so here it is in a nutshell. There was this man and he was going on a journey. And so he calls his servants together and he entrusts them with his property while he's gone. He's like, listen, guys, listen, I'm heading, I'm heading out of town, but while I'm gone, I would like for you to manage my property. And so the funds were divided between the three servants based on their ability. And just for the sense of our discussion, we're going to say he was giving them thousands of dollars. In scripture, it's talents, but I didn't want to do the math. So here we go. So he goes up to these servants, and based on their previous ability that they've demonstrated, he gives them money. And so to the first servant, he gives $5,000. To the second servant, he gives $2,000. And then to the third servant, he gives $1,000, and then he leaves. So right off the bat, the first servant goes out, and he doubles the money that he was entrusted with. So, so instead of having $5,000, he now has $10,000. The second servant went out and did the same. So instead of $2,000, he now has $4,000. But the man that was entrusted with just $1,000 was afraid. So what he did is he dug a hole in the ground and he carefully buried his master's money somewhere where he could find it later. So after a long absence, the master returned and he called his servants in to settle his accounts. And so the one given $5,000 showed him that he doubled his investment. And his master committed him, good work. That's awesome. You did well done, man. That's a great job. You know what? From now on, I want you to be my partner. And then the second servant who had doubled the money came in. And he showed him how instead of having $2,000, he now has $4,000. Well, the master was really excited about that too. He's like... Good work. You did your job well. I would like for you to be my partner. So then the servant that was given $1,000 comes in. And right off the bat, he starts to explain. He's like, Master, listen, listen. I know that you have high standards and hate careless ways. I know that you demand the best and that you make no allowances for error. I was afraid that I might disappoint you. So here's what I did. I found a really good hiding place and I secured your money. Here it is, all of it, all thousand dollars that you left me down to the last cent. Well, the master was not pleased. In fact, he was furious. He's like, you know what? That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal the way that you're living cautiously. If you knew that I was after the best, why did you do even less than the least? You could have at least taken that money to the bank and trusted them with it, and that would have earned me some interest. So he says, take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this one who is afraid to fail. Yes. 
Now, when we talk about fear of failure, we're not talking about uh, taking high stakes risks or putting ourselves uh, maybe in dangerous places because, you know, we have a lot of guys in this room today, maybe more than usual or outnumbering the ladies. And you guys are immediately thinking skydiving. You're looking over and you're like, this is, you know what? I've always wanted to skydive. I'm not gonna, I won't fail at this. I need to not be fearful of skydiving, right? Or whatever your thing is, like whatever your high endurance, high octane sport, monster truck wishes that you have in your brain, you're thinking to yourself, that's what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about when it comes to fear of failure and overcoming that is boldness and assurance and living for the Lord and living the generous life that he's called us to. And when I say generous, I don't mean just with the money that he's given us. I mean with everything that he's given us, the way that we share our lives, sharing the riches that you've been given when you became a follower of Jesus. So the kinds of things that you would overcome would be fear of what others may think or fear of being judged or fear of the unknown, or how about fear of just doing it wrong, right? When I become paralyzed with fear, it's usually because I'm worried about failing at something. And so uh, what others think and being judged and the unknown and doing it wrong are the kinds of reasons uh, that I tend to think about. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter shares this in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Stop for a second and just think about what this is saying. His divine power has given us everything that we need. What do you need for your life right now? This promises for us as followers of Jesus we're chasing after him, like we sang earlier, that you will have what you need for your life. So maybe that's wisdom for making tough decisions. Maybe that's patience in your marriage or in a relationship that you have. Maybe that's courage in the face of opposition. Maybe that's peace in the midst of chaos or comfort when you're mourning healing when you're hurting, or love when you feel alone, strength when you feel overwhelmed. How about all of the above, (laughs) right? Yeah, I'll I'll take a generous portion of all of the above there. So what Pete's trying to tell us here is like, listen, God has entrusted us with everything that we need to serve him in obedience. And so that includes, guys, faith in the face of fear. All that God requires of us is faith. Another way to say that word is trust, trust in him. Faith is not only believing, we've talked about this before, but faith is also stepping out in that belief and living it. It's showing in our lives. So it doesn't mean that you don't have times of fear. I want to be really clear about that. We're going to be afraid. Sometimes that happens. But what it means is that you act upon what you know to be true about God. And if you weren't here last week, we talked about those things in depth. Those truths that we learned were that God loves us and that he promises to be with us and that he is faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
Guys, this is really important, what I'm about to say. You can't fail bad enough that God can't fix it. In your life, in pursuing Jesus, in your walk, you can't fail bad enough that God can't fix it. Any failure that you or I have in pursuit of Jesus, it's not the end because we serve a God that specializes in overcoming, in fixing, and in restoring. You could also argue that trying things is how we grow as disciples, right? You don't grow when everything's great. You grow when uh, you face something hard or you have to figure something out. Those are the times that we grow. And so to the extent that we have a fear of failure, we may be revealing the extent of what we really think about God and how much we really trust him. Let me say that again. To the extent that you have a fear of failure, you and I may be revealing the extent of what we really think about God and how much we trust him. Because our fears are rooted in a lack of trust. Well, what do we not trust? I think the thing sometimes that we don't trust is we don't trust that God will work through flawed, messed up people like us. It's like, why would he choose me? We have a pastor, we've got elders, why? But that's how God's kingdom works. He wants to use all of us and work through all of us. We also fear because we believe lies about the nature of God. And again, we talked about those last week. So if God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, right, love and self-control, then that should tell us something. That should tell us that we can not only face our fears as Christians, but that God gives us the power to overcome those fears through his spirit. So today, if you're struggling with fear, especially fear of failure, I have three questions uh, that when you're in a time like that, that you can just think about, you can consider, and my hope is that they will help you discover the truth of your situation, uh, that they will help you instead of moving backward or staying still to move forward in those moments when maybe you're afraid of failing or you're afraid that uh, whatever God has for you is too much. You know, I think there's a reason that he doesn't show us the future. <laughs> because if you think about maybe two or three years ago where you were and then where God has you now, if you knew that, you may have lived differently, right? Yeah? Some of the things that he grows us to be able to face or the things that he grows us to rise up and do, we would have said hard pass to a few years ago. And he knows that. So I think it's part of his grace even that we don't have the future available to us. So the questions that I mentioned, the three questions you could consider that will help you discover the truth in your situation when you're facing the fear of failure, here's the first one. Question number one, where are your priorities? Whatever we have before us, right, that we're afraid of doing, we need to consider what our priorities are in that situation. Again, back to that verse that we shared a minute ago in first, uh, Second Peter chapter 1. The divine power that God's given us, he's given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. The godly life that Peter states here that we're being equipped for is a God-centered life. That's our priority. That's our goal in doing anything, whatever it is, whatever that decision is, the goal should always be to glorify God with our lives. 
Listen, we may fall short. Uh, we, it may not be what we imagined. It may not, in fact, most of the time it doesn't work out the way that we imagine it, b- bad or good, right? We can imagine the worst things or we can imagine the best things. And usually the way that things work out is kind of somewhere uh, in the middle of that. We may even make a mistake, but listen, if he's the center of our life, if he's the center of our plans, then we will never fail. In that parable of the talents, if you remember, worry and fear were the things that paralyzed that third servant. He was worried and he was fearful about what was going to happen. He didn't trust himself with managing the money. And so he didn't take a risk. He didn't invest. He missed out on the opportunity to bring glory to his master by investing what he was trusted with. We guys are created to worship and glorify God with our lives. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's kind of a go-to verse for me when I'm becoming fearful or I'm stressed out about all the things that need to happen because lots of times what's really stressing me out is tomorrow, worrying about tomorrow, worrying about next week, worrying about the things that have to get done this day that lead to this day that lead to this day, and that's no way to live. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I know, he talked about this just before. He's like, I know you have things you need. I know that you need clothes. I know that you need food. I know that you need shelter. I know that there are so many things uh, that it takes to survive as a human being in this world. And listen, chase after God, chase after his righteousness and let him worry about those things. We're not suggesting that you just go quit your job and wait around for God to do something. What we're saying is the life that we live in pursuit of God, he knows what we need and he cares for us. So we should be bringing God with all the glory we can with the way that we live and that he should always be the priority when it comes to overcoming fear. So uh, the priority would be God rather than maybe our selfishness or the things uh, that we want or that we feel like we need. So that's the first one. The second one is this, ask yourself, who are you trying to please? And this is kind of linked to that previous one. Often, our biggest fears are rooted in what other people think about us, aren't they? Amen, yes, no? Okay, yeah. Proverbs 29, verse 27, the fear of man lays a snare, so that's like a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And then Psalm 11, verse six, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. What does he mean there? Like, what's he saying? The psalmist is saying, listen, often we lay our trust in what other people can do, right? Uh, Historically speaking, you could go and you could get a job at a company and you could work at that company for 30 or 40 years. And then at the end of that time, uh, you would go into retirement and that company would have a pension and they would take care of you. Those days are over, right? And really, those days just prove that we can't place our trust in man or in man-made institutions, but especially, I would say, in people of power, because other human beings are flawed just like all of us. Now, God obviously equips some people to do different things, but in the end, our trust has to be placed in him, no matter what things may look like around us. 
So fear of failure because of people pleasing will only make you miserable. And if you live that life, you know that it's true. When you're so focused on what other people think, it stops you from being yourself. And listen, despite what you may be hearing in this world right now, you are a unique creation. God loves you. He made you exactly the way that you are. You are the sum total of not only your DNA and all the things that he did when he knitted you together in your mother's womb, but you are also the sum total of your past and the things that have happened to you. And all those things, even the bad things, he wants to use those for his glory. There's no one like you. And there's no one like you in the situations that you're in right now. And God wants to shine through your life in the midst of those situations. But when we're focused on what other people think, it stops us from being that unique creation. We try to be what other people want us to be. And so every move becomes this calculation of worry, doesn't it? And so uh, no one ends up satisfied in that equation, by the way. You're not going to be happy, and you're definitely not going to live up to the expectations of whoever you're trying to uh, impress or please with the way that you're living. No one ends up satisfied. Galatians chapter one, verse 10 says, for, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I'm pretty sure Paul said it just like that, only in Greek or whatever. <laughs> if I were still trying to please man, I would not be following Jesus, Right? That's, that's a sure way to, you know, just walk into a crowded room and just say, hey, does anyone want to talk about Jesus? Just see what happens. Hey, anyone want to discuss politics? It's basically the same thing. Paul's like, listen, <laughs> we're not trying to please people with the way that we're living here. And it doesn't mean that we need to seek to make people angry or to be an agitator. That's not his purpose. He's saying, listen, this choice that we're making is not based on what others think. This choice that we're making to follow Jesus is based on what's important, what he's done in our hearts, what really matters at the end of all these things. And so people who are consumed with what others think of them end up missing out on a whole lot of living. It's true. Candidly, I will just tell you that this has been a struggle for me various times in my life, and so I have a story for you. Um, when I was in grade school, I think it was third grade, we were in music class one day, and I loved music class. And so we're all sitting there, and all of our chairs are in a circle, and we were doing this little rhythm thing where we were going, come on, everybody. Some of you aren't doing it. I know you can do this, right? So we're in this circle, and we're all doing this, and then we're waiting for the teacher to go, right, to stop us. You guys are great. Oh, some of you say you weren't listening or paying attention. We're going to have to do it again. I'm just kidding. So even in third grade, I was scrawny and tall and just as awkward as I am now. And so at the very end of that thing, when I brought my hands into my lap at the end of the song, there was this girl that was sitting next to me, who, just to be honest, I kind of thought she was cute. But she looked over at me and she said, your legs wiggle funny when you do that. Right? And listen, I doubt she meant anything critical or mean. She's just a third grader, right? She's just observing something. She just looked over and she's like, your legs wiggle funny when you do that. But that's not what I heard. So immediately I became self-conscious about the way that my legs looked. And I no longer wanted to 
pat my legs with the group, so I would just do this. Right? But it didn't end there. I loved music class, but from that point forward, I kind of dreaded going to class. And we were just about to enter the unit that got ready for the Christmas program back when they still called it the Christmas program. And what was cool about the Christmas program in third grade was that they would let you play instruments. And so I really wanted to play that little wooden marimba, man, I was all over it. Like everything in my heart wanted to play that wooden marimba, but I was so stressed out about how weird I would look doing that that I didn't volunteer to do it. And I'm not saying that I would have gotten to anyway. There were other people in class, right? I just decided that I wasn't going to volunteer for anything again because I didn't want to make, make a mistake and look weird. Well, as most of you know, I've gotten way past that. <laughs> yeah, well, looking weird, just part of how it is now. Sometimes we just have to embrace these things. But I let the fear of what I thought someone else was thinking, that's important, that's an important distinction. I let the fear of what I thought someone else was thinking stop me from doing something that I loved, something that was important to me. Aristotle said this, this is a bomb right here. There's only one way to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. So are you a people pleaser or are you a God pleaser? What's the focus of your life? Who are you listening to? Here's a newsflash. God's work will always have resistance. If you're doing God's work in your life, if you're living for him, there's gonna come a time where you are going to face resistance from someone who doesn't like what you have to say, from someone who feels convicted maybe by feeling that they need to live up to an expectation that you're living out, someone who doesn't wanna hear it for whatever reason, God's work will always have resistance. But the goal of our lives, the goal of the life that we're chasing is to live to please God. That's what we're about. So fear shouldn't hold us back. Fear shouldn't hold us back from bringing others to him. Fear shouldn't hold us back from taking any opportunity that we have to play our little marimba to, for Jesus, right? Whatever that looks like in your life, whatever that thing is that you've been made to do, the thing that you've told yourself, no, I'm not gonna do that. Fear should not stop us from bringing glory to him with our lives. We must not let what others think cause us to fear, especially fear of failure. So that's the second one. And then the third one is this, have you prepared? Our regular connection and communication with our father above, the connection that we have with him is the word and prayer. And I know we talk about it all the time. It's church, right? This is where we should talk about it. This is vital for us. We have to have this connection and it has to be a regular connection, this communication. In John chapter eight, the second half of verse 31, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, remember, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That word abide, we've talked about it before, but it's more than just like, being somewhere. Abiding in his word, I would describe it like soaking in a fragrant hot tub. That's abiding. Or maybe you've drawn a luxurious bath for yourself. Or maybe you're eating like a bowl of ice cream that is so good 
that you are singularly focused on that. It doesn't matter what's happening around you because you're like, right? That's abiding. That's being there, being completely present in that moment, soaking it up. That's abiding with God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, and most of us probably know this one. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There's that word truth again. Now note what it says. It doesn't say be perfect. It doesn't say don't make a mistake. It says do your best. So that tells me that it might take a little bit of effort It may not be the easiest thing that we do all the time. Opening up the Bible on that morning when you would much rather be not opening up your eyes, right? Those are tough moments. But his challenge to us is, listen, be approved. Chase after it. Do your best. Knowing and applying God's truth, which is his word to our lives, is the key to breaking free from this fear of failure because it's the truth. It's the thing that we need to know that we can combat the lies with. If we're not soaking in God's truth on a regular basis, then we are not prepared to combat fear. We're not ready for it. Ephesians 6 tells us that the battle that we are fighting is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And so if we want to stand up to fear and we want to overcome it, we're going to need spiritual weapons. Well, where do we get those? In Ephesians 6, Paul talks about armor as this example uh, to the believers of his day because they would have understood this very easily, right? I mean, they were surrounded by Roman soldiers. Uh, Even the Israelite soldiers had armor. Every part of that armor had a special purpose. Like it was there, nothing was wasted. If they had armor on whatever it was that was on them, it was meant to do something. And so Paul's purpose is to show us how to prepare ourselves to battle the enemy. But here's the thing. We've all heard this. How many have heard about the armor of God before? How many of you have seen like the sermon example where somebody puts on each piece and talks about what it does? Has anyone seen that? Or you've ever watched like a video where they go through all that? Right. Well, here's what happens. When we have these examples that are really, really good, sometimes we've heard them so many times that in fact, when I first started talking about this, I watched some of your expressions. And I just have to tell you that some of you disengaged in that moment because you heard it before. You're like, oh, the armor of God, right. I got it. It's on a bookmark right here. Thanks, man. That's cool. That's what you're saying? Great. Awesome. Oh, wait, the Chiefs aren't playing today. Dang it. Right? We do that. I do that. We've heard it so many times. We've seen it so many times. We become so familiar with this example that no matter how good it is, it can lose its power. So today, I want to do something different. We're going to make armor. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Although we could have done that today. We totally could have rocked that. Here's what we're going to do. I want to read that passage of scripture to you in a translation that's called the message translation. And listen, before you Bible scholars lose your brains on this, before your wigs flip up or whatever's going to happen, the message isn't a literal translation, okay? Okay. But the message, I believe, is helpful. It's a paraphrase. Eugene Peterson, when he translated it, he actually went back to the original languages, Hebrew and Greek. And what his goal was, was to translate those uh, into uh, verbiage that people, a modern audience, would understand. And so he's a pastor, and he basically did what good pastors are supposed to do. He's basically doing what Jesus did, right? 
Have you ever noticed Jesus doesn't teach verse by verse through the Bible? <gasps> what? No. Jesus told stories. Hmm. Not to say that he didn't ever, because, of course, Torah study and the temple or where he's going. I'm sure that he went verse by verse at times. But Jesus told stories. So this isn't literal. It's passages in a modern poetic style. But I'm hoping that this will be a refreshing change of pace. And listen, if you're stuck in your Bible study and your Bible reading on, a, on like your daily thing is starting to just drag down, one of the things that you can do, especially if you're using like version or Bible Gateway or any of those apps, is you can actually open the message up right next to your favorite literal translation and you can track along together. And so maybe you're starting to doze off here when you're like in the middle of Exodus. Well, you can just jump over here and maybe that'll brighten you up a little bit and then you can jump back over here. And you know what? It's okay. So anyway, I'm gonna read this to you. It's Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 18. And Josh, if you will kind of forward these slides with me so I won't look up here. I'll look down here to make sure that I read this correctly. So here's Paul speaking. He says, and that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out before you, well-made weapons of the best materials. And if you've ever listened to the NFL on the radio, Westwood One. How many people know what I'm talking about? There's a guy, he's got the voice. Westwood One Radio. He sounds like he's really angry that they're making him read this. So I'm kind of imagining Paul here. He's like, so take everything the master has set out before you, well-made weapons of the best materials got to put some life into this thing and put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. <laughs> this is no afternoon athletic contest that we're going to walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. Life or death, fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. Be prepared you are up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help that you can get, every weapon that God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open and keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind and no one drops out. I really love that. So simply put, this regular connection with God, communicating through prayer and through his word, these things, guys, are our lifeblood. And it connects us to him, but it also, notice, it connects us to each other. So without those things, guys, we're weak, we're anemic, fear will easily consume us, and we're confused in our priorities and our loyalties, and then we're unable to conquer 
the fear that's in our lives to be the men and the women that God's calling us to be. To move past fear, to meet the challenges that are ahead, the things that he wants us to face and the things that he wants us to overcome. If you think about the lives of the disciples, they had a very real fear that their faith could result in death. And guess what? There are places on this planet that that is still true. There are places where people do not have the freedom and the luxury to sit in a room together and worship and sing and even own a Bible or read scripture, much less hear somebody talking about it. Yet the truth of what the disciples believed and the truth of what people all around this planet believe caused them to take a stand. And here's the thing. Often when they did take a stand, it was God's opportunity to do something supernatural, wasn't it? We see that over and over again. There was no doubt to them and to us, I think, reading their stories, that the Holy Spirit was directing their lives. The Holy Spirit was guiding them and speaking to them and moving So sometimes people ask me, so Pastor Bill, if that's true and we have the Holy Spirit in us, then why don't we see those things now? Like, why don't we see the Holy Spirit moving in those same ways, especially the supernatural ones? Well, first off, I would suggest that the Holy Spirit still continues to move in those ways and that sometimes it's because we're not paying attention. But... I'm just going to ask the question, could one of the reasons be that maybe we're just not giving God enough opportunities? I mean, does God really need to rush in and heal something that we can heal with medicine? Does God really need to rush in and change a situation when we've obviously taken steps in the power to do that ourselves? Or maybe we're just allowing fear to overcome our faith and we're not stepping out in those ways that he challenged. Like we're not listening for that voice to say, hey, you need to do this or hey, you need to do this or you need to talk to that person or hey, that guy over there in the corner at the coffee shop, go over and ask him what he's reading. When was the last time that you stepped out to share your faith with somebody? To talk about how great your church is? I'm not kidding. <laughs> I believe that. When was the last time we offered to pray with somebody that seemed like they were going through something hard? Because that's kind of a tough thing, right? You see this person that might be in a public place having a rough time. I mean, there's a re very real fear of even going up and showing compassion now because we worry that it's going to end up us being in some kind of a lawsuit or something. It's a very real fear that people have. But that's not the people God's called us to be. He's called us to be the people that step into that situation and say, hey, I don't know what's up with you. Is there something I can do to help? Can, could I even just pray for you? What if the answer's no? Then the answer's no. Have a great day. When was the last time that we stepped out of our comfort zones to serve God maybe in a way that we didn't feel equipped so the challenge today is you and I need to be men and women who are not afraid to fail, 
Or maybe our goal should be to fail so much that God has to be in there all the time because we're trying stuff and we're doing our best and we may stumble. I mean, if you think about like babies, right? When they learn to walk, they don't, most of them, I mean, I'm sure that they're, you guys have really brilliant kids, so they probably all just walked immediately, but um, most of the time, like, right, the baby, like, at first they have to hold on to stuff, and then they're kind of bumbling around, right, and a little bit awkward, and, and then there's, of course, they fall down like a bunch, lots, but this part's so fun that they get back up, and it's like, oh, yeah, let's do it, come to daddy, okay, eventually you all learn how to do that straight, May you and I be men and women who are not afraid to fall and are not afraid to fail. May we be so connected to God. May we be so passionate to please him with our lives. That we will put him above all other things, even our fears. Would you guys bow your hearts with me? Father God, thank you again just for your love and for your care for us and I thank you just for this week that the ways that you've made that known to me over and over again God within this room and the others that maybe will hear my voice on the podcast Every person that can hear my voice is a person that you created and that you created for a purpose and that you have hopes and dreams for, that you have uh, goals for, that you have missions for them to go on and to accomplish God. And so many times, God, we can be afraid of what that looks like. So Father, I pray that Holy Spirit that you put in us, that you give us as believers, for those of us that say yes to Jesus and say no to our old lives and do our best to put sin aside and bring those things to you in repentance and just continue to chase after our master because we want to be like him. I pray that your spirit would rise up in us and in our hearts like never before. I pray that we would start to hear you speaking to us, God that you would direct our steps, that in those moments where maybe we're beginning to be fearful, that you would remind us how much you love us and how worthy of trust you are. God, I pray even in this next week that we would look back and we would be amazed at the things you were able to do in our lives simply because we surrendered and said yes. So God, for those of us today that may be dealing with fear that has a grip on us and it's causing us to live in a way that we know is not the way to live, but we don't know what to do. I pray today that your truth would break the bonds of that fear in the name of Jesus and that we would be able to lay those chains aside and move forward in freedom. We know that you're the only one that can work in our hearts. You're the only one uh, that can bring that kind of change in a human being. And so we surrender ourselves and we say, do that. Change us, God, 
Give us boldness. Give us strength. Give us all those things we talked about today. Help our lives to glorify you and you alone. We love you. We worship you and we thank you for Jesus and all these things are in his name. Amen. Amen. Revolution never ends.